Chapter 5, 1994 to 1995. The rise of the internet dramatically accelerates the growth of the PC. The Windows PC, in particular, becomes a must-have home appliance and an essential business tool for most every profession around the world. Windows PC unit sales have doubled since 1989 to over 40 million units per year, and the growth rate was increasing. Section 31. Synchronizing Windows and Office. The first time. Run towards the fire and make sure the team is making the same level of bet on you that you are capable of making on them. My lesson in searching for a next job role. During a visit to my family in Miami, I was bored with the July heat and endless trips to the mall to avoid the heat. So I went to the local CompUSA to buy the newly released Lotus Smart Suite version 2. Wanting to spend time with it firsthand, I loaded it floppy by floppy onto my compact LTE laptop running Windows 3.11 and used the better part of the vacation diving deep into the product. The online version has a full trade press advertisement for Lotus Smart Suite running on OS 2. Working together was the key tagline. The main messaging for Smart Suite was consistency and the way in which each of the programs worked together. At Spring Comdex 1994, the booth had been a relentless chorus of a work-together jingle. The promotional material offered up smart icons shared across applications as supporting evidence, basically toolbars with customization. As I began to use the 123 spreadsheet, a Mi Pro word processor, and freelance graphics, Lotus Organizer Personal Information Manager, and Lotus Approach Database, the latter four were all acquisitions, I saw a fairly sophisticated suite of products but I didn't see a lot of user interface consistency. It was weird. It felt like we were being marketed to. We were. A normal person would have taken screenshots of the user experience and compared them, but I was a developer tools person, so I groveled around in the compiled code looking for clues to see how shared smart icons were in reality. This was a big deal to my app's friends because performance was everything, and loading Word, Excel, and PowerPoint meant a good deal of duplicated code. Surprisingly, all those buttons took a lot of memory and used scarce graphics resources in Windows. Office was a bundle, but not an architected product, yet. Much to my surprise, but given the acquisition history of the product, it should not have been, not only did each Lotus app have its own copy of icons, but each frequently varied across apps. Busted. We were being marketed to. The online version includes some analysis I did about shared code in SmartSuite. But I, I also did snap a few screenshots, and there are some of those as well. I put together a nearly 30-page memo detailing inconsistencies and inefficiencies in the product. I made a giant table of copy-paste between apps to see how each was handled. In hindsight, decades later, nobody would think this was even a problem. But in the early days of cross-application scenarios, simply moving information between products was hit and miss. It had been an area Office 4.x had worked hard on, especially using the new object linking and embedding technology, OLE or OLE. I detailed the disk footprint, memory utilization, and even the number of help topics. The online version includes that table I made showing the results of copy-paste across tools. Consistency was all the rage in the world of applications. There were two historic drivers of this. First, there was a strong belief, in part encouraged by Microsoft and Apple, that a graphical interface was inherently consistent across applications. Apple relentlessly touted their extensive documentation, the Humor Interface Guidelines, or HIG, as sort of the rules of the road for building graphical apps. The HIG provided specific, almost Talmudic reference for rules for how to display commands, dialog boxes, and menus. 
Windows was just beginning to recognize the importance of this kind of effort, and with Chicago would release a major set of guidelines, the Windows Application Design Guide, or WAGI. Unlike MS-DOS, where every application made up its own user interface, graphical products should all be very similar as a result. Second, consistency was supposed to make it easy to move from one application to another without learning an entirely new and equally arcane command set. Most people used only a single application, and what easier way to get more out of a PC than if moving from one application to another did not require learning a bunch of new user interface, especially in suites of products that were coming to to dominate sales. In reality, developers would be developers, and most every application went in its own direction, all justifying that by saying customers had specific needs, a topic we return to with respect to Office. To that end, my competitive memo was a source of pride. Whether or not any of my findings were relevant to sales or competitive positioning was unclear. My own lens was not particularly broad at age 27, but up until that point, reviews of SmartSuite had been quite impressed with the integration, and I was growing increasingly disappointed in the lengthy product reviews that failed to reveal all the details. While I wielded a great technology buzzsaw, I was also applying Microsoft's perspective, not necessarily what Lotus was looking to accomplish or what reviewers would see. For example, my focus on shared code came straight from Bill G, as that was his hot button. The Lotus products clearly hadn't focused on that at all. I thought they were what they were doing was wrong, not simply different. This mismatch was something I'd seen in evaluations of Borland C++ versus Microsoft C++. For example, Borland had a compiler optimization switch, slash capital O, that was basically make this code as fast as possible by enabling all the best optimizations. To us compiler heads at Microsoft, we thought of this as technical nonsense because each of the myriad of potential optimizations meant something unique to the programmer, literally the entire alphabet of command line switches, but it had captivated reviewers. I came to champion and push the addition of a slash O command for our own compiler, and it turned out it worked with reviewers. When Ami Pro, the Lotus SmartSuite verb processor, demonstrated its new ease of use of features under the umbrella of working together, it similarly captured the attention of reviewers Even if deep down in technical details, it made little sense. This lesson really stuck with me. In distributing the memo, which is Bill's technical assistant garnered attention, and in talking with the office team, it became clear that we saw things the same way. Lotus was doing a great job marketing, but Microsoft's team needed to do better with the office architecture. It needed to do a version of slash O, but one that was consistent and marketable. My write-up of Smart Suites offered some fuel for that work. Pete Higgins, email PH, even emailed me to ask about the memo. Pete was the leading protege of Mike Maples and the spiritual leader of the newly named Desktop Applications Division, or DAD. He rose through the ranks, eventually leading Excel, then all of Office. Pete represented the kind of leader, manager, and team member we all aspired to be, representing the very best of the Mike Map value system and intense focus on customers and the business. On my Lotus memo, he casually asked me rhetorically, Why didn't our team write this up first? I love that, but also felt badly about it. My intent had not been to make the dad team look bad. I found myself sending around apologies each time someone asked for the memo. It made me think about the lessons Jeff Harbers had imparted about managing across teams when people perceived me to be in the power position, which as TA, they certainly did, even though I felt like a junior assistant. The online version includes a full-page trade press advertisement showing a great example of trash talking. It was an ad from Lotus that talked about the five blue-chip desktop applications in Windows, no IOUs. The details follow. 
The dad teams were busy finishing Office 4.0, which started in late 1993 with a launch event, but lasted until the summer of 1994 when the last product would finally ship. It was crazy. It took almost nine months to complete a launched product. In fact, the first boxes, the physical boxes with floppy disks, came with a new version of Excel, but the older, previously released versions of Word and PowerPoint. Buyers were given coupons for the updates to the other applications, which would dribble out over the coming months. Internally, the team referred to this as an airbox, because customers got coupons instead of new software. Finally, the much-promised Office Professional, with a new version of Microsoft Access Database, shipped in the summer of 1994. Office was the team that shipped on time. It was just that, organizationally, each of the component applications was a different team operating at a different velocity with a different date. Lotus even capitalized this by running the advertisements in the trade press pointing out these as IOUs. Over in systems, products were also late, but the strategy was confusing as well. The industry seemed to be questioning whether the future, there was always just one future, the future, was going to be Windows NT or Chicago. The online version includes a Computer World June 1994 trade press article, further delays expected for Chicago, with lots of questions about Chicago versus NT. The organizational split underlying the technology differences was front and center for me as I was looking for a job. I would talk to the Chicago team and hear about how they were the natural evolution of Windows and how Windows NT took way too much memory and was not compatible with all the software and devices that customers used especially in all the new games and multimedia on the internet. The NT team mostly thought the Chicago product was a fragile, toy-like, and lacked architecture to even achieve the required security and robustness the PC needed. There's also the Cairo team that felt everything was rather pedestrian until they would ship. Meanwhile, the industry was just waiting and waiting for Chicago. In many ways, Windows 3.1 was old news. Microsoft had been touting 32-bit computers long enough, and now the market wanted a product. In particular, all the new internet tools really need the connectivity and multitasking capability of 32-bit Chicago. The number of new products under development across Microsoft was stunning. I'd seen them spring up in meetings with Bill. These new teams were attracting seasoned developers and program managers and provided new opportunities for career growth. Though at the time, there was a growing tension between the major teams like apps and systems in the old terminology or DAD and platforms in the new terminology be it online systems, consumer, or the new advanced technology groups. The prevailing view was that people were drawn to these new shiny objects teams to rest and vest because somehow the work was perceived to be easier than slogging through compatibility bugs and increasingly difficult memory and disk constraints. Such a characterization was decidedly rude, but it was in the air. Microsoft was developing a bit of a cultural pecking order, Increasingly, groups began to talk about metrics like revenue employee as a way of distinguishing the ever-growing list of teams that were exciting but in investment mode. I needed to find a job. There was not much precedent to this transition, but my self-imposed 18 months was almost up. Months after writing the Lotus Memo as Office 4.x near completion, I started looking. The memo served to discuss the potential of working in DAD. It was not my first choice given my roots and tools and focus on databases and programming languages in grad school. Plus, Bill had clearly demonstrated from his perspective, Windows was central and where the hard problems that required IQ existed. Still, my mentor and previous boss, Jeff Harbers, was an original in apps and built our AFX team around that culture, and he insisted and brokered a discussion. That first stop was with Chris Peters, email Chris P. At the end of 1993, with the launch of Office 4, 
Chris P. was promoted to vice president of the newly formed office product unit, reporting to Pete H. and Dad, who reported into Mike Mapp's expansive worldwide product groups. Chris was one of the first technical vice presidents. OPU, the office product unit, sounded redundant. Why did applications need an office product unit to make office? I was confused and intrigued. When Chris introduced himself, he always said something like, I grew up on Bainbridge Island, went to the University of Washington, didn't have a car when I started at Microsoft in 1981, and then worked on DOS 2, Windows 1, Mouse 1, Word 1, then Excel as development manager, then the Word business unit manager. His Microsoft pedigree was legendary. He was one of the few people to worked on most of the major products, including hardware and in apps, holding senior roles in both Word and Excel development and systems. That was a big deal. In reality, it was only part of Chris P's contribution. He was also among the most creative leaders at the company with a true fondness for art. He championed the acquisition of an MC Escher work as an original member of the Microsoft Art Committee and went on to become a professional artist. At any given time, he would concurrently and deeply be immersed in a new hobby like rockets, robots, architecture, bowling, or film photography. Chris was most well-known for instilling the culture of shipping. The idea that shipping software trumps everything, memorializing with the ever-present quote, shipping is a feature. This shipping focus was elevated to historic levels with Excel 3.0, shipping a mere 11 days from its original planned ship date. For this newly formed group, Chris was thinking about picking a key direct report as group program manager. The talented leader of the, the group inherited did not want to manage a much larger team. I had not managed a big group before, but then again, most people had not. He was not as interested in whether I had all the answers myself as he was interested in if I could manage and lead the team. I was, in a sense, interviewing to join the dad family as much as to work on office. Sitting in the courtyard between buildings 16 and 17, a patio with commemorative Ship It tiles celebrating the release of each Microsoft product, we both started to realize dad was the right fit. Dad was organized by business units as a result of Mike Mapp's transformative organization in 1988. Each of Word, Excel, and PowerPoint, and also Microsoft Project, were headed by seasoned general managers and had all the resources to plan and develop their products. There was a single marketing organization which divided resources across the products with dedicated leaders for each application. The organization worked spectacularly well and resulted in the leadership of Word and Excel on Macintosh and the increased success of the new Office bundle. The online version has an org chart from desktop apps in mid-1994. My first work would be figuring out what Office meant, both the products and the newly formed team. Why was there a new organization to build the product people knew about, or did they? The Office product was not close to as widely known as Excel on Windows or both Word and Excel on Macintosh. PowerPoint was still light years behind. The Lotus Compete memo gave some clues. All the meetings the Office team had held with Bill G were about code sharing and consistency, something that customers wanted to buy, but Microsoft was not yet ready to sell. Chris P. later offered me the role of Group Program Manager, GPM, in the newly formed Office product unit. I reported to him. The initial Office PM team called OffPM was 14 people, mostly made up of the team that managed the setup and installation program. We would be growing quickly, but deliberately. Two lessons really stuck with me in what would essentially be my last job search. First, I decided to run towards the fire and join the relatively large and mature organization rather than the one with exciting new businesses. Applications in 1994 was $2.9 billion in revenue, 
compared to platform's revenue of $1.5 billion. The success of Windows 3.x had driven sales of Microsoft's own Windows applications to account for 85% of revenue by 1994, after years of dominance by the Macintosh platform revenue. Joining desktop apps meant I was joining a team with a great deal of responsibility to Microsoft on the business side. And at the same time, the team was established, had a very strong culture. It was exactly the kind of job many people at Microsoft were not gravitating towards at the time. Second, the conversations with Chris P. about management were very difficult and had the direct effect of shaking my own confidence. It was entirely true that I'd hardly managed anyone prior to this job, and stepping up to manage a team of 14 with two levels of management was unheard of in DAD, where people worked their way up, as Chris P. had. The company was being forced to make these leaps because of the explosive growth in headcount. In discussing this with Chris, he explained what a leap this was for me and how in taking this job, I was not signing up for a passive role and learning how to manage. I would need to rely on the strength of the team around me and also recognize the level of trust the organization was placing in me. While it was humbling, it was far more terrifying. Years later, I would learn just how much of this was based on the newness of the office product unit and dad, in a sense, trying to create a new culture as well. There was no doubt a bet on me. A note about this today as I write this. I rarely ever gave direct career advice, even for relatively routine internal moves at Microsoft. This transition for me sentimented two things that I always do offer. First, run towards the fire in a big company, especially early in career. This is so much harder than it looks. The seductive roles are always the new technologies and new teams. It always seems like there is more opportunity there, but it is also more opportunity to get little done because of the very forces of a big company that tend to draw all things towards existing and critical businesses. Second, always make sure the team is making the same level of bet on you that you are capable of making on them. The reason I was offered a job that was such a stretch was because the team, Chris P. and my peers, were going to support me and essentially train me for the role. It wasn't that I was unqualified, but that the strategic view and technology perspectives I brought were the only parts of the job. Managing people and leading a team at that scale were new to me and critical. Chris P. reminded me with his final words, being a manager of a team this big is always new the first time. One day you're a lead or not manager at all, and then the next day people are lined up outside your door asking you what to do. He assured me that he had the confidence I could do the job, but also that he and others were there to support me. I was very excited to have a real job. In just about every way, this would be the last job change I would make where I was worried about fitting in or if the job was right for me. I found a home and a team in Dad, as I would quickly learn. For the next 10 years and six releases of Office and in innumerable service packs and bug fixes, I would feel as though I was on a mission and a part of something much larger and more important than myself. I felt as though any efforts I made would return so much more because of the strength of the team I was fortunate enough to be part of.